0: Hi, this is Lily DeHoyas-Anderson, and you're listening to Choosing Glory. Well, my voice isn't completely back, but it's better than it has been for several days, so I hope I can get through this without being too distracting. I feel like I swallowed a pine cone. But we got back from a trip and have been sick for a whole week, finally starting to turn the corner a little bit. I hope that you are avoiding flus and colds as much as possible or getting through them quickly. And, of course, I hope that you're enjoying this December season, this wonderful time that we celebrate the birth of the Savior with other Christian peoples in the world. And I hope that we can all make a little extra effort to bring the Spirit of Jesus Christ into our Christmas celebrations. That can get a little bit harder some years, it seems like, with all the distractions and the way the world seems to be increasingly turning away from not only Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father, but also from peace and from loving your neighbor and from loving the good. All these things are prophesied. I hope we don't let them overcome us. I hope we just make it a commitment in our lives to celebrate Christ year-round, and that this season we can Feel joy in the in the celebrations of like-minded individuals as well as our own. We never were able to really put up any Christmas decorations. Our home is still in complete turmoil, and I hope you don't hear too many construction sounds behind us as I'm recording this. Trying to, I'm as far away as I can be in the house from the workers that are here today. So I apologize for any of that distraction and. Hope that you are, in fact, having a wonderful Christmas season. C.S. Lewis uh, made a, a comment about Christmas once. This is not one of his spiritual insights, but a uh, human observation. He said, by the time December 25th arrives, families are in no mood for making merry, but instead look far more as if there had been a long illness in the house. <laughs> and that sometimes is true. Well, in our case, it's literally true this year, <laughs> but... I hope that that's not typical for us, that we temper and simplify our preparations, starting early if necessary. Of course, it's late to do that this year, but we can always try again next year to start a little earlier, keep it a little simpler, spend a little less, enjoy family time a little more, and try to really feel the joy of the season. I asked a few people before Doing this, how they try to keep Christ in their Christmas celebrations. There are just a few answers here that I was going to share. One of them was a kind of a cute thing that this mother does where she wraps up 25 Christmas storybooks, like, you know, regular hardcover children's books that are Christmas stories and she wraps them in Christmas paper and puts them under the tree at the beginning of the month so that she can have the kids select one every night that they read together, and then they can read or reread the ones that have already been opened, and they get through all 24 of them before the day of Christmas. And of course, the Christmas story is in there, but in many different forms as well. And I think that's a a pretty cute idea. I don't think I ever had the energy to do that, but I'm impressed. It was a a really nice way to do that. Uh, One thing we did do, I think I've mentioned this before, and I... Hope that many of you still have this. I know everything has its season, and maybe this is a, a season past, but I'm sure it's online now. Kind of an Advent notebook. And this was precious in our family. I must have been circulating around Relief Society or something. You know, Anyway, a friend, I think when we were in Chicago, gave it to me, and we used it for years and years and years, where we would have for each of the 24 days of December prior to Christmas, on that day's pages were a messianic scripture from the Old Testament, prophesying of Christ's coming, and then there would be a selected Christmas carol to sing as a family, and then a Christmas story that we would read. And they were tender stories. They were really cute, sweet, tender stories that really brought the Spirit. Our kids had their favorites, but I think, you know, we enjoyed all of them, and It was a tender way to meet every evening to have that Christmas moment. Now, with all the available media, honestly, I don't know how you can even get through all the things that could be done every day. And maybe, you know, we should start earlier, (laughs) or maybe we should extend well into the new year to continue these kinds of things so that we don't feel too rushed and make a burden instead of a blessing to generate the spirit. But I know that some years we have made a, a real point to watch Christmas videos every night. And on YouTube, there are so many that the church has put out. Of course, the Easter videos are totally appropriate for Christmas as well, of course. Interchangeable messages because they testify of Jesus Christ. We have the tabernacle choir Christmas shows that have been done and are available pretty easily. And those are marvelous. And they take a while to, to watch. So those can be split up. And again, I don't know why we confine all of this just to December. You know, perhaps we could start at Thanksgiving and continue all the way to Easter and make these seasons connect as they should. I say again, as I've said before, that Christmas should just be a warm-up to Easter. So that I hope that we really will approach it this sacred season as a warm up to the Easter message and let them mingle and blend together in the great saving blessing that they are from the master of the universe to each one of us, his children. I've mentioned before too, and, and one person that I talked to mentioned, why well, should put it this way? Let's see if I can read this. I really like to give a gift to Christ that I pray about. And that's a really nice idea, and I liked that, that early enough in the season, this mother will pray about a gift that she can give Jesus Christ for the year and for the Christmas season. This year, I'm working on the gift of not complaining, sometimes hard, but definitely worth it. One year, my gift was the Names of Christ Advent calendar that I made that we still display every year. And I've mentioned that I did some things like that with my kids and the Names of Christ well. And if you're looking for a list, and there is no exhaustive list because you can continue to find them as you read the scriptures, different phrases that are used to describe the Savior Jesus Christ, and they are all so beautiful. But to get you started, you can go to the Bible Dictionary and look up Christ names of just Christ names of in the Bible dictionary will give you a very long list to start with. And each one of the names of Christ helps us to understand another dimension of his great gifts to us and who he can be to us. So let's see, have I gone through? Oh yes, of course, service can figure largely as can Christmas music. Many of us have done, you know, the 12 days of Christmas for neighbors or friends or family in need. There are lots of organizations that make it possible to serve or contribute to those who are in need. I hear from a lot of people that they try not to center too much on the gift-giving to their children. Now, I know feelings are going to vary there, and of course it's fun to see the magic of Christmas for little children and so on, and I'm not suggesting real severe austerity or anything like that, but I do like the idea of not making it just about what I get. And I think that while it can be tricky, there's a balance there to be sought so that our children realize that this is not just a time of getting stuff, but that they also have a chance to give and to prepare gifts for their family members, loved ones, neighbors, each other, of course, their parents. And and we facilitate that with very young children, of course. They can't really do that on their own, so they need a lot of support to do that. But it really does increase the The meaning of the season for them, if we remind them that this is in the tradition of the wise men who brought gifts to the Christ child. That was the original part of that tradition, that the wise men brought these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we know that they didn't arrive for probably two or three years. And that's why the slaughter of the innocents that Herod commanded in that horrific evil act was to kill all children three and under, because the star appeared at the time of Christ's birth, and it took quite a while to prepare for, and then take on this journey and and complete the journey. So the wise men did not come the night of the nativity, but they did begin their travels soon after, and brought those great gifts that then have become the tradition of gift-giving in our Christmas celebrations now. Christmas music, of course, brings so much of the season to us, and I hope that you do branch out with your Christmas music, meaning that one thing that I have particularly loved in the past few years is to incorporate some of the gospel music that I like to listen to into my Christmas playlist so that I hear not only the standard or modern Christmas music, and I really do try to avoid the Santa Claus ho 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 stuff. I'm not saying that that's terrible. I'm just saying that there's so much of it that I don't really want to focus on that. I want to listen to the music that reminds me of this great gift that God gave to the world in the birth of His Son, our Savior, and all that that was come to mean as He grew from grace to grace and ultimately prepared for and performed the amazing and infinite atonement on our behalf and then was buried and rose the third day. So I I like to have at least one or more renditions of How Great Thou Art, or of other music that is some of the hymns, or often, though, some of the gospel music that I listen to year-round, because it fills me with joy about the love of the Savior for each of us and the great gift that he gave us. The last one I wanted to share that someone contributed about bringing Christ into Christmas celebrations, was a young man who said this. I do know that I feel the Christmas spirit, meaning the Spirit of Christ, more in my life when I know I'm more actively keeping my covenants and trying to maintain a spiritual life. Let me say that again. I know I feel the Christmas spirit, meaning the Spirit of Christ, more when I know I'm more actively keeping my covenants and trying to maintain my spiritual life? Maybe a fairly simple answer, but I always thought it was interesting that the Christmas spirit is more profound when I'm in a good place spiritually. And that is maybe simple and obvious, but so important to remember that this is the greatest gift that Christ has given us, is the covenant path and these wonderful covenants and ordinances that we make that can bring us back to Him and to our Father in Heaven. So I hope that we, again, you know, the ironies can be so horrific at this time of year, where if we are getting too frenzied and frantic about other things, that we can lose the Spirit completely, or we could get really impatient or angry about the things that don't work out the way we wanted them to or thought they would. And it's hard to keep the Spirit if we don't keep going back to keeping our covenant life and keeping on that covenant path. So I'm also going to just mention another little ironic statement made by C.S. Lewis in personal correspondence. My brother heard a woman on a bus say, as the bus passed a church with a crib outside it, they bring religion into everything. Look, they're dragging even into Christmas now. Now, that would have been a long time ago that C.S. Lewis was writing that letter. So even back then, the world had gone so crazy with Christmas celebrations, that really have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. That here he hears this woman on a bus passing a church singing nativity and going like, "Wow, they're trying to drag Christ even into Christmas," seemingly totally unaware of the incredible and tragic irony of her point. Let's jump to Neil Maxwell, who said this: "In view of all God has given to us, we ought to be pretty good at receiving." But we are not. We who regard ourselves as quite self-sufficient and independent often find receiving awkward, even difficult. Yet God's gifts, unlike seasonal gifts, are eternal and unperishable, constituting a continuing Christmas which is never over. Let's read that again. In view of all God has given to us, we ought to be pretty good at receiving, but we're not. We who regard ourselves as quite self-sufficient and independent often find receiving awkward, even difficult. Yet God's gifts, unlike seasonal gifts, are eternal and unperishable, constituting a continuing Christmas which is never over. And then he reminds us of the verse from section 55 of the Doctrine and Covenants, For what doth it profit a man... If a gift is bestowed upon him, and he received not the gift. So in all our giving of this season, let's make sure that we receive. And when I read that uh, again this year, this is from a Christmas devotional that Neil Maxwell was quoted in a few years back, but it reminded me of that story, and I didn't look it up to find the exact story, but I didn't want to spend the time to read the whole thing. But you've heard that story about the little Christmas pageant where Harold is not a very bright kid and they let him play the party innkeeper because they don't think he can mess that up too much. He only has one line, which is a stern, you know, there's no room at the inn when Mary and Joseph approach to ask if they can stay. And then, however, you know how the whole Christmas pageant changed and everybody in the place was touched when Joseph and Mary approach the door and Harold is doing his part, dressed as the innkeeper to say sternly, no, go away, there's no room. And then as they turn away, he can't help it. And he's so sad, he yells out, wait, wait, you can have my room. I have always thought that that really was touching. A sweet story. I don't know if it's true, but it certainly could be. And if not, the message still means everything. Christ can have our room, right? And here's a comment that was made about that story. Harold understood that when the Son of God is at your door, you have to make room for Him. You've done Christian things. You've gone to Christian meetings. You've believed Christian beliefs. You've developed a Christian image. But you've never really opened the door of your heart to the Savior who died for you, who is once again knocking on the door of your heart this Christmas. Your heart is empty because Jesus isn't there. I cannot think of a better day to change that, to finally give yourself to the one who gave himself for you. You can open the door by praying a prayer something like this. Jesus, I've been running my life. I resign. I believe you paid the death penalty for my sin. And right now I'm putting my total trust in you to forgive my sin and take me to heaven. I'm yours. So what doth it profit a man if a gift is bestowed upon him and he received not the gift? Let's get better at receiving the gift of Christ, not just now, but all our lives. Okay, the last thing I wanted to share was something that I've already posted on Patreon early this month, and I hope that my Patreon subscribers thank you so much, by the way, those of you who are keeping this podcast going by subscribing on Patreon. I want to express my thanks to you, especially at this season of the year, but all throughout the year, because this is where I can continue. And if you're interested in helping support the podcast, please go to patreon.com forward slash using glory and help with continuing this project At any rate, I posted early this month about Amal and the Night Visitors, which was an opera written for NBC in 1951 by Giancarlo Manati, an Italian-American immigrant. And it was commissioned by NBC and performed by the NBC Opera in New York City for the first performance at the Rockefeller Center, broadcast live on television for the Hallmark Hall of Fame. And it was the first opera specifically composed for television in the U.S. Now, let me go back and spell that first name. Amal is A-M-A-H-L. Amal and the Night Visitors. And the Night Visitors, in fact, are the three kings. So I'm going to read from the first performance production booklet that went along with that original cast recording, this anecdote written by the author or the composer, John Carlo Minotti and John is G I A N John Carlo Manotti M E N O T T I So John Carlo Manotti wrote This is an opera for children because it tries to recapture my own childhood You see when I was a child I lived in Italy and we have no Santa Claus there I suppose Santa Claus is much too busy with American children to be able to handle Italian children as well Our gifts were brought to us by the three kings instead I actually never met the three kings, it didn't matter how hard my little brother and I tried to keep awake at night to catch a glimpse of the three royal visitors, we would always fall asleep just before they arrived, but I do remember hearing them. I remember the weird cadence of their song in the dark distance, I remember the brittle sound of the camel's hoofs crushing the frozen snow, and I remember the mysterious tinkling of their silver bridles. My favorite king was King Melchior, because he was the oldest and had a long white beard. My brother's favorite was King Casper. He insisted that this king was a little crazy and quite deaf. I don't know why he was so positive about his being deaf. I suspect it was because dear King Casper never bought him all the gifts he requested. He was also rather puzzled by the fact that King Casper carried the myrrh, which appeared to him as a rather eccentric gift, for he never quite understood what the word meant. To these three kings I mainly owe the happy Christmas seasons of my childhood, and I should have remained Very grateful to them. Instead, I came to America and soon forgot all about them, for here at Christmas time, one sees so many Santa Clauses scattered all over town. Then there's the big Christmas tree in the Rockefeller Plaza, the elaborate toy windows on Fifth Avenue, the 100-voice choir in Grand Central Station, the innumerable Christmas carols on radio and television, and all these things made me forget the three dear old kings of my old childhood but in 1951 I found myself in serious difficulty. I had been commissioned by the National Broadcasting Company to write an opera for television, with Christmas as deadline, and I simply didn't have one idea in my head. One November afternoon, as I was walking rather gloomily through the rooms of the Metropolitan Museum, I chanced to stop in front of The Adoration of the Kings by Hieronymus Bosch, and as I was looking at it, suddenly I heard again, Come from the distant blue hills, the weird song, of The Three Kings. I then realized they had come back to me and had brought me a gift. Now, brothers and sisters, this gift that he received from those three kings is a gift to all of us. I love this little opera. My parents discovered it, I guess, watching TV, even though it was done before I was born, but it was shown on TV a few different Christmases. I remember my dad pulling out a reel-to-reel tape recorder even and recording it one year. And we all tried to be really silent so that we could get a good recording of this beautiful little opera, which lasts less than one hour. So it is not a huge time investment to listen to this charming, beautiful story all in English. It is particularly meant for children, but I listen to it every year, and it makes me cry every year. I love this sweet story in this little opera. Here's a quick synopsis from Wikipedia. It takes place near Bethlehem, and the time is the first century just after the birth of the Savior. Amal, a disabled boy who can walk only with a crutch, has a problem with telling tall tales. He is sitting outside playing his shepherd's pipe when his mother calls for him. After much persuasion, he enters the house But his mother does not believe him when he tells her there is an amazing star as big as a window outside over their roof. Later that night, Amal's mother weeps, praying that Amal may not have to become a beggar as they have no more food in the house. She's a widow. They've had to sell all the animals. Now she says they're going to have to go begging. After bedtime, when they're trying to sleep, there is a knock at the door and the mother tells Amal to go and see who it is. He's amazed. When he sees a king in the door, he tries to tell his mother. She doesn't believe him. She keeps sending him back. He comes back and says, no, you're right. There's not one king. There are two. And then there are three. Anyway, it's really cute. The three kings come in and tell the mother and the mother that they are on a long journey to give gifts to a wondrous child. And they would like to rest at their house, to which the mother agrees. But seeing all she can offer them is a cold fireplace and a bed of straw because they have nothing really in the house to offer. She goes to fetch firewood, and Amal seizes the opportunity to speak with the kings, and this is a cute little section that the kids will love. King Balthazar answers Amal's questions about his life as a king and asks what Amal does, and Amal responds. He was a shepherd, but they had to sell the sheep, and now they'll have to go begging. Then he talks to King Casper, who is childlike, eccentric, and a bit deaf. Casper shows Amal his box of magic stones, beads, and licorice, offering Amal some candy. And then, remember, Caspar is deaf, so he cannot hear very well, and the questions have to be repeated again and again. But at the very end, as Amal turns away from this magical box, he says quietly, Mr. King, amongst your magic stones, is there one who could heal a crippled boy? And Caspar asks, eh, what's that? And Amal says, never mind. Good night. So they're all going to go. Oh, oh, the shepherds come. I forgot. The shepherds come. Amal has been asked to go and get the neighbors and they bring what's in their house, you know, olives and cucumbers and persimmons and all kinds of, you know, things that they might have to offer the kings. And then they dance for the kings. So there's a musical piece where they do a beautiful little shepherd's dance, After the neighbors have left and the kings are resting, the mother, who has asked the kings what the gold is for, starts to sit there and contemplate that gold. And they have told her that these are the gifts for the child, and she asks what child, thinking, could it be her child, who desperately needs help? And they sing a beautiful song about the child they seek, and the mother joins in, thinking of her own child, who so much needs gifts that no one will bring. But as they are resting, the kings have a servant who's guarding the gold, and the mother keeps thinking all that gold. Do rich people know what to do with their gold? And do they know how just a little gold could help to keep a fire going in a house for months on end and could feed her hungry child? She talks herself into taking a little, hoping that they will never miss the little that she is taking, and as she reaches to take some gold, the servant wakes up, grabs the mother, calls her thief. And Amal wakes up, takes his crutch and starts hitting the, the servant saying, don't you dare, don't you dare ugly man hurt my mother. I'm the one who lies. I'm the one who steals. My mother is good. She cannot do anything wrong. And he begs the kings to let go and the king say yes. So then Amal and his mother fall into each other's arms. And, seeing Amal's defense of his mother and understanding the motives for the attempted theft, King Melchior says, "O oh woman, you can keep that gold now I'm going to just share some of the words of that beautiful song that is at the climax of this lovely opera: "O oh woman, you may keep the gold. The child we seek doesn't need our gold." On love, on love alone, he will build his kingdom. His pierced hand will hold no scepter. His haloed head will wear no crown. His might will not be built on your toil. Swifter than lightning, he will soon walk among us. He will bring us new life and receive our death. And the keys to his city belong to the poor. Then, Mother, as the kings prepare to leave, stops them and says, Take back your gold. For such a king, I've waited all my life. And if I weren't so poor, I would send a gift of my own to such a child. And then Amal jumps up and says, Mother, let me give him my crutch. Who knows he may need it. And this I made myself. And he walks. a lovely little ending. Do yourself a favor and listen to this beautiful little opera. It's available easily in the soundtrack on Apple Music or probably Spotify or lots of other streaming services, I imagine. It also can be found on YouTube. I've tried some different DVDs in the past. Some of them I liked better than others to show the kids, but there's a nice one on YouTube and I'll put the link. Also, check your local performances. It is often performed in communities. It's surprising to me that more people don't know about it, but there are always people who go and watch it. Salt Lake had a couple of performances in the area this season. It's a wonderful way to get a little Christmas message and enjoy this wonderful time and the miracles that come for the believers in Jesus Christ and that great gift that was given to us. Two more quotes, one by C.S. Lewis again. Joy is the serious business of heaven. May we feel some of that great business of heaven this season as we celebrate the birth of Christ. And Charles Dickens, who wrote another wonderful Christmas observance piece that many of us enjoy at this season. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I do challenge each one of us to try to continue our celebrations all the way to Easter and not to end there. I don't mean that we should end any time during the year, but that this special season of Christmas could be extended so that we can warm up to the Easter message. We can hold it close to our hearts and live our covenants so that we can feel his spirit in our lives. A wonderful time to try to heal our broken hearts, to share with others the great love of Christ that He gives us, to receive Him more, to let Him into our hearts and always make room for Him. How could we build Zion without receiving Christ in the innermost parts of our soul? I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful. For this season of the year to remind us about this great gift, and I do try to celebrate every Sabbath day and every day of my life that Jesus is my Savior and God, that He has redeemed me from hell. May the Spirit of Christ be with you this season. Thanks as ever to my husband, Chris Anderson, and Doug Larson of Point Digital. Take care.